the Hit the Light podcast featuring Big Frog and Michael Castleberry is on the air. Covering classic metal and comedy from San Diego, California. So now sit tight and hit the light. The Hit the Light podcast is recorded live and uncensored. Big Frog in particular is not politically correct, so please don't be offended. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Hit the Light podcast. I am Big Frog here with my good friend Michael Castleberry. And we are working on this, which is going to be basically a podcast about the things that we like, which are comedy and heavy metal, specifically classic heavy metal. And um, as a little short intro, we're both uh, stand-up comics in San Diego. Uh, When we met each other probably about five years ago, we started bonding as far as music and stuff because we were two of the few who um, actually liked the same music. And so... Um, the dynamic, let me give you the dynamic. Basically, I'm quite a bit older than Mike. Mike's quite a bit younger. And, uh, and so obviously we discovered comedy and metal at different times, but somehow we ended up in basically the same spot. So let me introduce you first to Michael Castleberry, and I'm going to start with these simple questions. Mike, what did, was your introduction to comedy and... What was your introduction to heavy metal? Uh, well, first off, I uh, just want to remind you, uh, I have a stage name now. I'm Mike Ripper Castleberry. All right. Since, All right. <laughs> since you get to have a stage name, street name, whatever, I figured I get to have a fucking stage rocker name. That's for this very podcast. metal of you. So uh, well, I'm going to switch it every week <laughs> and just catch you off guard every perfect, time. Perfect, perfect. So anywho, um, my introduction... First, well, to stand-up comedy was actually road trips with my parents, and they always played Cosby albums ah. on the road trips. Like, so it was one of those things where, like, now it's kind of fucked up because I can't really like when someone's like, "What right. was your big imp- comedy influence?" and it's like, up until a couple of years ago, it was right. pretty fucking safe to say Cosby, right. <laughs> and now it's like, oh no, yeah. So you got some feelings about that. Yeah, so that was my, that was the first stand-up I ever heard was like the Bill Cosby himself special he did. Right. And then... It's great. um, As I got older, it was one of those deals, like my parents had, uh, I was like just going through their shit, and they had a Carlin album, Mm -hmm. and it was uh, A Place for My Stuff, I think it was the name of that one. Right, right, right. And I was like, I'd kind of seen him a little bit before because we had HBO, Mm -hmm. so I'd seen some of his HBO stuff, but it was like a cassette tape of it, and this was in the, sometime in the mid-90s. Right. And I popped that in my tape, tape player, and I'm like, wow, this is like next level. Yeah. You know, it's an old Carlin album. Right, (laughs) It was next level for me. It was next level, really. And then, you know, and then going from there, since my parents had HBO when I was younger, uh, I would stay up late and then watch Deaf Comedy Jam. Okay, night, yeah. Like when like my parents are in bed. Right. So when I first started com- comedy, uh, everybody's like, "Man, you say fuck a lot on right. stage." And I realized I watched yeah. so much Deaf Comedy Jam when yeah. I was twelve. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, you thought you were clean by yeah, comparison. I yeah. was like, th- I thought that's just how comedians talk, man. Right. That's uh, it's all like you know. So in a roundabout way, I was almost emulating Pryor. And, and right. Shit, but, right. Uh, 
Right. But as far as that was my big comedy influences, as far as my introduction to metal, I have a very distinct memory of the first time I heard any actual metal. I was about 10 years old. So this was, you know, you know, 91. So I'm 10 going on 11. Okay. I'm at a friend's house. He's got MTV on. And I was not allowed. That was the channel my parents blocked. Uh, MTV. Okay. They didn't want me to watch MTV. I got right. to watch a lot of VH1. So, right. you know, I was really into them divas specials. Yeah. Pop-up but, videos. Yeah. But, um, so I'm at his house. He's got MTV on. And it was already the cool house. He had, right. like, the mom that, you know, uh, would let, you know, let him listen to Motley Crue and shit right. like that. And she was into that. So she seemed like, I mean, this kid was, like, the same age as me, if not a little bit older. Right. But his mom seemed, like, young and cool compared right. to my mom, right. which she's which probably is, a teenage mom or some yeah. shit. It's probably good for you. You know, but it, it was cool. Way, it was yeah. cool going over there, you know. It's, so, it's, you know, we're listening to MTV. And all I had at that time was whatever I was able to get, you know, be able to see or whatever the other kids at my school were into. And there was no fucking 10-year-old kids listening to metal right. at my elementary school. And uh, I just remember uh, the video for Enter Sandman comes on. And uh, he's like, oh, cool, Metallica. Right. And I had heard like uh-huh. the name Metallica somewhere in like, I don't know where I, like, I heard it from. In the lexicon. Yeah, or... it was just one of those things that I had ru- come across. I just right. heard it, but I never listened to them. Right. But it sounded familiar. And I still remember this uh, with, you know, the other shit I was into. Uh, my, you know, I look at him, I go, oh, really? They're pretty cool? He's like, yeah. I'm like, are they as cool as MC Hammer? <laughs> <laughs> and he, I thought he was going to beat my ass yeah. right <laughs> The look he gave me. And then that video came on. And it was the first time I'd seen, like, a music video and, like, music that, like, it was sort of fucking creepy, and it was like it was supposed to kind of scare you as you right, watch it. Right, you know, it gave you some kind of a feel. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, "Oh shit, this is badass!" Like it was the first time music gave me like the same feeling you get watching like a horror movie. Right, and that was me. That was my thing. I'm like, "Oh, I think this is like gonna be my thing." But right. you know, being a child, <laughs> my mom wasn't about to buy me Metallica albums. Right, so right. It was one right, of those right. things where really all I knew of Metallica. Even that, like up until I got a little bit older, was like I knew the I knew Enter Sandman, and that was about it. Right, but you knew you liked it. Yeah, I knew okay. I liked it. And then as I got older, um, that's when like you know grunge was hitting. So once I hit high school, it was like all you know grunge, alt rock, everything was like the thing. So that's right. what I, I, my friends listened to. So I hung out with them. Right, and it was always just ninety one X's on. Yeah, and we're listening to Nirvana and Stone Temple Pilots and all that. Right, and which I mean, like, yeah, there there were some bands at the beginning of that movement that were really really different. Yeah, you know, but there was also some of those bands like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden that were kind of like metal bands. There, there. You know? I really think they're probably. More alt metal yeah. than anything. If you think about, it. like you know, Soundgarden especially um, was downright almost like Black Sabbathy. Yes, very much had some had yeah. some riffs. So you could tell, like that's the thing with alt rock. A lot of those bands is there was like this melding of like punk rock and metal, right? And 
you got bands like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden on one end, and then you had like bands like Nirvana and stuff that were right. m- more punk oriented, yeah. but they yeah. still had seemed to have a little bit of a heavier edge to right. it, even if it wasn't like guitar virtuosos right, like, going right, off. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was pretty. I was into that, but then I just on a whim, I was just like, you know what? Um, my my mom had like the Columbia Record Club. Oh and yeah, all yeah, that. yeah. And, and it's like I think everybody did that one at least once. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I def I ripped it off when I was older, and I got fucking grounded for a couple months. <laughs> Start <laughs> signing up for them twelve free CDs. Yeah, for sure. Uh, under fake names. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And be like, yeah, yeah. It's CDs nuts. Yeah, <laughs> Columbia shit. House. Yep. But uh, that's what I was just like. You know what? I was looking through it, and that's when I saw they had, like, Black Sabbath and shit. Mm-hmm. So I started just on a whim. I was like, you know what? I'll get, like, you know, Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and all that. And right. And I kind of was like, oh, I, I think I'm starting to dig this more than the alt-rock stuff my friends right. are into. And uh, then just... It was just, I morphed, like, right, right, <laughs> like right. as a freshman, all of a sudden I had, like, the long rocker hair, and I started hanging out with the other metalheads, and right. we all just sat around, like, talking about how uh, how much better Metallica was back in the day, you know, when we were right. fucking four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that was all we had, though. We didn't have, like, the newer crop of metal bands hadn't quite hit yet, so, right. like, the 90s was, like... It was like, a, yeah, it was a little bit of a dead time. Yeah, yeah, it was just like that was like the load and reload era for Metallica. Right. So it's like, you know, Megadeth even had like they, their albums were more radio friendly. Like right. nothing against like you know cryptic writings and shit, but it was they sounded more like Metallica at that point. Right, and then I guess yeah, Pantera out there just always yeah, Pantera was Pantera. there. Yeah, but that's you know that's where it was kind of that weird thing but you know that for someone like me because like my friends they all started getting into like fucking death metal and black right. metal and shit and I was like eh, I can't you know right. keep up with this it's just like double bass and like someone growling the whole time and yeah like, eh. I was never really about the growling too much yeah. I mean you know um, probably if the band was sick enough I, yeah. I could put up with it but I still it was nothing that I would ever have liked there was yeah, there wasn't enough that sounded different enough for me. Yeah, that I, I like you could put on like a a lot of like black or death metal, and I don't know who the fuck it is. Yeah, because it's like very similar. Right. I got. I have a. I have a, the rule that uh, if if I can't read the logo, then I can't <laughs> fucking, I can't it just looks like. It. Yeah, this is this new sick black metal band, yeah. Thornbush. Yeah, like, what the fuck is this? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so man, so for me, um, I like you know I'm probably 15 years older than you, 10, 15 years older. Yeah. Than you. Um, and so when I came up, basically everything was coming up with me. You yeah. know what I mean? Like so when I um, when I got a hold of my uncle Albert's um, um, comedy records. They weren't that old, you know. Yeah. They, you know, and uh, and what I did was I recorded uh, same thing that I would do with uh, with metal at the time was um, I would record an album on each side of a ninety minute tape, right? Yeah. So you know, I had Heaven and Hell on one side of a ninety minute tape, 
mob rules on the other side of a of a tape, you know, uh that nigger's crazy on one side of the tape, <laughs> and you know, and and so that's how it went. And um, the beginning of uh, Big Frog, right? And the House Enterprise, basically, <laughs> you know. And and I, um, I actually, I mean, you know, I I saw comedy on TV, um, you know, The Tonight Show, and whoever. Jo- I mean, Johnny Carson was a killer mm-hmm. in his own way, and who had, you, you know, and he had a lot of killers on The Tonight Show too, which I saw. And it was cool, but, you know, that's like five minutes of clean stuff. And, you know, yeah, it was all right. I laughed and everything. But once I saw those records that um, that my uncle had, which, you know, was everything from, you know, Cheech and Chong to um, Richard Pryor. And right at that time was the beginning of Eddie Murphy, right? Which, yeah. you know... So, uh, I got an education on that stuff right around, um, this was when I was like 14 and 15. And I had gotten into uh, metal like a year or two earlier, right? And the way that that happened was weird because like you talk about your friends at school. My friends at school, like I went to a Catholic school. Our class was small, like maybe 35 kids, yeah. right, in our grade, right? So let's say I was probably in um, sixth grade or so. And, you know, I liked like the, the music that my uncles and aunts and stuff liked, which was basically R&B, you know, the Commodores, Earth, Wind & Fire, mm-hmm. that type of stuff. And so did my friends at school. Yeah. Um, Right around that time, I started kind of hanging out with different friends, you know, and because of that, you know, we just, we just, we were doing different shit, and um, along, right right around that time, you know, uh, me, my friend Ricky, my friend Lenny were at uh, Ricky's house, and we would go through his mom's records, and she just had everything that was popular in... The 70s, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, whatever it was, you know, she had some Santana in there, some Jethro Tull, some, <laughs> you know, and she had the first Sabbath album, right? So we put that on, but we put it on more as an experiment, you know, I think we only probably listened to maybe five minutes of it before we were trying to spin it backwards to yeah. see if there's messages. So you got them just, just through the, the little bit of rain. Right. The yeah. intro and they're like, you know, all right, let's hear the same shit. Yeah, and it sounded cool, but it sounded old. You know, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't like, it was like, you know, it wasn't something that I was immediately drawn to, yeah. you know. <clears throat> then, around that time, you know, ACDC was starting to blow up, you know. And that was, you know, to me, they're still like more of a hard rock band, you yeah. know, but it was heavy and mm-hmm. I liked it, you know, and, and it was cool. So, you know, we started listening to rock radio, you know, KGB was yeah. rock radio at the time. And uh, they had a request show, like on Saturday nights, you could call in and request, you know, whatever. And they would, and at the end of the night, they would have like the top three or whatever, top five requests, and then they would play them in a row. Well, one day, at the top of those requests, 
It was just, woe to you, O earth and sea. Oh, shit. And we were just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you know? And and it started, you know, we're just like, oh, shit. This is like epic. You know, it was yeah. just like, because we, nobody, as far as we were concerned, nobody had ever heard this before. Yeah. You know, we discovered it. You just discovered yeah. Iron Maiden we just discovered on their third album. On their third album, <laughs> right? On the radio. Yeah. And, uh, and we were just like, oh, well, you know, we gotta, we gotta fucking, we gotta get this. We gotta go get this. And the thing that, you know, I tell my girl, uh, I'm constantly bringing her up because she's like closer to your age. Yeah. She's like 30. And yeah, I'm, um, I'm almost 10 years older than your chick. So. Well, there you go. So they, so she's young, younger. Or, yeah, wait, 38 tomorrow. Right. So. Oh, so there you go. So I tell her, you know, I go back then. So, you know, you had to get down to the record store, buy the record based maybe on having heard one song on the radio or maybe not even that. Mm -hmm. The album cover art, the names of the songs, the way that the band looked, you know, hopefully you're going to like this. And if you didn't like it, you're fucking stuck with it. Yeah, you, you know? better start fucking Yeah, you, bet you, would, you would give it a 10 <laughs> listens before you decided you didn't like it. I went through that one a couple of times yeah. in high school where I, like, I liked one single off the CD and I order the CD and I'm like, the rest of this album is fucking bullshit. Yeah. Now yeah. I'm like, that was my fault for even thinking a Fountains of Wayne single was even yeah. catchy, but I'm like, what's the rest of this? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, there were some mistakes. Like, you know, uh, you might have got a Nazareth record or mm. a Molly Hatchet record or something because the covers looked fucking cool. I, you know, you told me about that before, and I'd never really listened to Molly Hatchet. Yeah. And I remember looking at the album artwork. I'm like, that shit looks like it's supposed to be a fucking Dio album. It's yeah. like dudes like fighting dragons and stuff and then you put on this freaking southern rock band yeah it's and, like what the hell and i like some southern rock but you yeah. know that's like when you're drinking you know you take a sip thinking you're about to drink you know dr pepper and you get fucking you know pepsi <laughs> yeah like you're gonna spit it out <laughs> yeah it's like what the hell yeah so um so i got into it that way oh and then what happened like that first day we went to the warehouse in National City to get the Iron Maiden album, mm -hmm. Number of the Beast. And they didn't have it. But they had Killers. Oh, so we shit. bought Killers. They get that shit home, and it's a different fucking guy. <laughs> it's a different thing. It's just again. like, what the fuck? <laughs> but, again, we listened to it, listened to it, listened to it, we fucking liked it, you know? Yeah. And so already, on the first day that we ever got... Um, Number of the Beast, which was like a ne the next week later, mm -hmm. we were already on our first week in a debate of who was better, Paul Diano or fucking Bruce, you know, <laughs> and there was people who liked Bruce and people who liked Paul and whatever, whatever, but yeah, so we were in, we were in with um, metal controversies on day yeah. one, you know. Well, that's like when I was in high school, it's funny because like, when me and my friends would get into, like, metal debates about shit, it's all about stuff that, like, we weren't even there for, like, that period, like, for. So it's just, like, when you're, you know, it's the mid to late 90s, and it's right. like, oh, man, 
Cliff Burton was so much fucking better than Jason Newstead and right. da, 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 da. and so there was like Cliff versus Jason debate right. all the time and it was never like a debate it was like yeah. it was always Cliff Cliff yeah, it was Cliff, always Cliff it's tra- like yeah. yeah he had the you know right he 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 was able to die at the age of like 25 so right. like he never had to play on load Right, you know, you don't know where they would have been. Yeah, he never did nothing whack. Yeah, he didn't yeah. do anything whack. And Jason at least had, you know, and Justice for All and the Black Album, and those were like, you know, the Black Album was what drew a lot of people my age in. Mm-hmm. And then it's funny because you know, Load and Reload, in retrospect, those were just this, you know, the continuation of the sound that was starting on the Black Album. Right. And everybody would, but to the black, for the black album, that was the first album you heard of Metallica at that time. So, like, this is so fucking heavy. Mm. And when it was like, it just progressed even more down that kind of more radio friendly, stripped down sound. And all of a sudden, you know, Lars has this whack ass little drum kit, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, With Metallica, it was funny because, uh, you know, the things that I first liked about metal when I heard it were uh, the there was a high level of musicianship. Mm-hmm. The singers were really good. Yeah, the ones that I liked, you know, and um, and it was it had a lot of melody, you know. Yeah. So when I first heard Metallica, I was like, "Well, this fucking guy can't sing," huh. you know. I go and I go in the in the. It's not tonal. It's kind of rigid in its you know. Dun, dun, dun. And I was like, eh, I don't love it. It's it's cool, yeah. you know. But then, as your influence with your friend, it was my friend Lenny's like yeah. one of his favorite bands. So, you know, he listened to what I was listening to. I'll listen to what he was listening to, and we ended up obviously really liking both things and I became a, a Kirk Hammett fan yeah. you know um, quickly um, at that time I'm pretty sure oh no yeah when I like when I started with Metallica I was already starting to play guitar yeah so so because I originally wanted to play drums right when I was like um, probably when we first ever thought of being in a band, I was going to be the drummer, right? Yeah. And I asked my parents for drums for some, and there was just no fucking way I was going to get that. <laughs> so I, what I ended up getting was an acoustic guitar, which... Uh, launched your mariachi career. Yeah, I mean, it, actually, that's what they actually did was... They paid for lessons at this house up the street, and it was a bunch of Mexicans in a house, <laughs> and this guy was teaching, like, those types of songs, you know? <laughs> and I was just like, man, and that shit was on the same day as Happy Days. So I was just like, yeah, fuck this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to fucking, you know. <laughs> like, I'm not getting any pussy playing Yeah, there's shit. no way, whatever. <laughs> so, so that guitar ended up in my closet, just sitting there. It must have got pulled out a few times because the strings broke on yeah. it to where the when I first started hearing music that I liked that had guitars in it, I pulled it out 
of the closet had one string on it, <laughs> but I could go like, dun, 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 <laughs> you know, and then, oh shit, we've got music, you know? Yeah. And, um, and around that time, I was so sure that I was either going to be a musician or a comedian that I had no use for school whatsoever because oh, school wasn't going to be, you know, my, I barely graduated. I never, uh, I never applied to a four-year college. I never took the SATs, nothing like that. I didn't care about that, you know, yeah. and I had, and I decided on music purely for pussy reasons, <laughs> you know, I was just like, these dudes are, are so much cooler. Yeah. I could do it with my friends and chicks love it. Yeah. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to do and ended up, you know, wasting a whole bunch of years on a music career that was destined to do nothing but drugs, yeah. you know? <laughs> and then of course came back to comedy later. Yeah. But, uh, you also were in some types of bands and things. Yeah, that's when I was in high school. Me and my friends, um, we we had our little we had our garage band, and it was a, purely a garage band. We never fucking played anywhere. But uh, <clears throat> the irony of that situation was, is I couldn't play shit, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and uh, nobody could though. Mm-hmm. It was just like that first band you form. It's everybody just kind of picks a fucking thing and they better figure out how to do it. Right. And we had, you know, this is how up our own asses we were, though. Uh, our Did first, you have drums? Eventually. Okay. Our first jam session, actually, it was me, my friend Sean, and my friend Russell. Sean was the only one that had, like, a guitar with a fucking amp. So he was the guitarist. Russell had this weird, it was like a fucking, almost a toy bass. It was like one of those basses that had like the fucking, um, the uh, speaker built in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he, he was our bass player for one jam session. So we were hanging out, we we're writing lyrics, and we're, you know, Sean had this really, really fucking basic guitar lick he came out with, and, um, you know, we are trying to put a song to that, and Russell was trying to follow along on bass. And us, you know, me, I didn't even have a fucking microphone. So we're doing this in my living room with me just kind of singing along to shit. So me with no microphone and not really able to sing particularly well. Sean, with a super basic guitar lick that wasn't all that good, decided that Russell wasn't good enough to hang. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so he was out. And then my friend Larry, he wanted to, he wanted to drum. Mm-hmm. He was like, I'm going to be the drummer. And the whole irony of this situation was, you know, when they first started talking about putting a band together, we're going to be like an alt-rock type band. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, Russell, Sean, and Larry were all talking about putting a band together, putting a band together. And I was like, oh, can I sing for you guys? And they started getting all bent. They're like, man, you're trying to force your way into our band. We didn't fucking invite you to be oh, in our geez. band, blah, 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 blah. And I started, I got a little butthurt about well, that. Well, yeah. So, but I took a different approach. I was like, fine, I'll start my own fucking band. There you and go. then one by one, asked them if they wanted to be in my band. And they're like, yeah. sure, why not? There you go. <laughs> and that's how I started I, the, with the same fucking people that were like, you're trying to yeah. 
you know, weaseling on our band. I was like, fine, I'll start a band. Yeah. And then I was like, I have a band now. Uh, Sean, you want to play guitar? He's like, yeah, I guess. Why not? Right. Larry, you want a drum? Yeah, whatever. And Larry, that was the thing. We had a drummer with no drums. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. He that had, was an epidemic in my days. He had, <laughs> <laughs> he had, a, he had a snare drum and a, and a crash cymbal. And some sticks. And a couple of sticks and uh, some buckets okay. that w- could re- almost approximate, you know, a bass drum, you know, sound. A bass drum yeah. and some toms. And our first couple of fucking jam sessions with that setup, it was, you know, Larry, he, he had no fucking rhythm. <laughs> and I started fucking around with Sean. When right. Larry went in to get something to eat. Or something. I'm like, I'm going to sit down at Larry's, you know, quote, drum kit. And I was like, Sean, just start the fuck. And we changed, like, we had one song that we completely changed the lick to also at that point. Sean right. had another one he thought worked better that, uh, oddly enough, years later when the White Stripes first, like, blew up with mm-hmm. uh, Fell in Love with a Girl. Yeah. His guitar lick he came up with in, like, 96 sounded really fucking similar to that one. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, shit. We had, our whack-ass band had a sound that could have sold millions later. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I, I sit down at Larry's drum kit, you know, and I'm like, just start. And I started fucking around on the drums, and I got one fucking arm. So I'm doing that, and I at least had rhythm, you know, with my one arm. Right. And uh, afterwards, Sean was like, that was actually pretty fucking cool. And Larry comes back, he's like, what's going on? And he's like, Mike, do it again. Yeah. And he was like, Larry, do that, but, you know, with two arms. Right. And that's how we came up with the drumming for that. And then, yeah, that's cool. And then later, <laughs> after that, it was, you know, we are just having fun, and then I come, it's, it's time for band practice, so I go to Larry's house, and that's where, you know, the drummer, you have to go to his fucking house. Right. And uh, I remember he does this big thing. I'm knocking at the door. Ooh. He's like, hang on, hang on. Go around the front. And I'm like, God damn it. Let me in. I have to fucking pee. And, uh, so we're standing in the... I'm standing in front of his damn garage. So he opens up his garage. And he actually has a fucking drum kit. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so that was his big unveiling. <laughs> but I was like, on one hand, it was cool. But on the other hand, I had to pee real bad. And this fucker was taking forever. So I was kind of mad. I was like, right. cool, you have drums. Let me go pee. Right. And he was mad that I didn't seem enthusiastic right. enough. Yeah, no shit. And then Sean comes over. He does the same routine. No, you got to go stand around here. And Sean, same thing. He's like, I got to pee, Larry. What the fuck? Right. <laughs> and then he was jumping for joy. And then that's when we had to learn, like, all the tricks when you're fucking practicing in a garage with the fucking garage door closed to do things like stuff, you know blankets into the bass drum and shit cause right because it's too loud yeah we couldn't hear the, yeah. we couldn't hear the guitar fuck yeah I was just at one point I was singing along and I think we were doing a cover of like uh, uh, Bullet with Butterfly Wings by Smashing Pumpkins okay and I'm like singing along and what I think is happening and then at one point Sean goes to get my attention because Larry's just sort of drumming his ass off <laughs> And uh, it's just Sean standing there with the guitar going. Because he can't fucking hear it anymore. Right. (laughs) Right. And uh, so we had to start all over again on that. But yeah, with just little things. And it never went nowhere. And then we finally, we just got busy. And 
But you have some idea what it's like to try to make music. Yeah, it right. was yeah, and it, it was all for a lark. And we right. had a good time. Well, that's and, cool. You know, I jammed with some other kid a little bit later that was like a, the guitar virtuoso of the school. Right. That was super yeah. up his own ass. Right. Also. That was me. Yeah. At my school. He was like the kid <laughs> that every once in a while he'd bring like his little mini amps and like attach them to his fucking his jeans yeah. and then just walk down you know the oh. battery operated ones and then walk down the hallway just oh, shredding the fucking Pied Piper of metal oh lord and he was a fucking he was a cool kid but he was a right. little bit younger and he was the one that was like super into like you know Yngwie right. and Satriani yeah. and all the, all the fucking guitar guys that are like I'd never yeah. heard of before like I heard of Satriani because they at least played him on the radio right. But he was like, he was very arrogant too, because you know, they right. can't learn how to play Eruption by ear. So yeah, he yeah. could play a, a shit ton of Van Halen solos, like note for note. Right. And at that time, it was like, that was so fucking cool. But later, it's like, you couldn't write Eruption, but. Right. But he. Uh, but yeah, but it's something. It's something for sure. But he would be talking about just like, oh, you know, man, because. We're, I think we're hanging out talking about whether or not guitar lessons are all that great. You know, he's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, if you have a teacher like, you know, like Satriani or Kirk Hammett or me. Yeah. <laughs> then, yeah. Yeah. It'll be Obvious. fucking sick. And after a while, his like guitar pyrotechnic, they got old because he always wanted to show off and you'd be hanging out at his house and he'd fucking plug in his extra long, you know, cable and then, like, it was like, you know, like, the old fucking, like... Oh, he gave you theatrics, too? Yeah, oh, well, it'd be geez. like... Well, it's like, you know, like, the old, like, Guns N' Roses videos where it's like, Slash just seems to, like, fucking walk into the frame. He's doing yes. his Slash shit. He'd, like, walk out from his bedroom while we're all trying to watch, like, Comedy Central. Right. And he's like... I'm like, stop fucking playing yeah. Eruption. We're watching the yeah, Daily Show. Yeah, we've seen show. that shit already, yeah, anyway. but he was trying to make a big deal out of right. it. But he was fun to hang out with. And, right. you know, we jammed a few times here and there, but nothing really came of it. Right. We, we, the most fun I had, though, is we'd prank his neighbors across the street. It was these <laughs> fucking Chaldean dudes that oh, hated geez. him. Right. Because he had a... The thing is, is he his dad hooked him up. So he had a, a fucking sick setup and loud fucking amps. Right. And a bunch of effects pedals and all yeah. that. So when we realized we could run a microphone through his effects pedals, it could do some weird shit to your voice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he had one that uh, lowered, you know, it's like if you plug your guitar into it, it basically fucking sounded like a bass. Right. And it lowered it. Yeah, like an octave pedal. Yeah. yeah. So we plugged the microphone into that and... Uh, you know, you talk into it, and it's like your goddamn Darth Vader at that point. Like, yeah. it's this low thing. I'm like, oh, maybe that's how they do the growly shit on some of these albums. Yeah, maybe so. It's yeah. tricks. And then we were like, I wonder. So we had our friend Big Nate come over, and we <laughs> we fucking crank his amp up all the way, put it to the window, and then use that effects pedal and have Nate just yell into it. The Big Nate a black dude? No, he was a big white oh, guy. Man. And Big Nate just yells into this thing, you know. And it's what coming through that effects pedal and through that amp, because we put on some distortion, all kinds of other things, mm. you would have thought a fucking T-Rex from Jurassic Park oh, was Jesus in the neighborhood. Christ. You just hear this, Ooh! and it fucking echoed through, like, the hills of right. Spring Valley. And I remember seeing people, like, up and down the street, all coming out, all looking around, like, what the 
fuck was that? Right. Because <laughs> they just heard a monster roar. Right. Basically. And then, yeah, his, you know, neighbors that hated him already were coming out screaming, well, fucking kick your ass, you stupid metalhead. Blah, 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 blah. And, uh, yeah, that was just, you know, it was just fucking around and having fun. And then, you know, you get out of high school and you lose track of all those dudes. Right. I didn't do shit for, you know. Right. 12 years. <laughs> right. Well, for me, man, like, okay, like, I, like I'll set the scene for you. I was, I got out of eighth grade. That meant that I was done with St. Michael's, done with Catholic yeah. school and everything. And at that time, what was going on was, um, Dio had already, Dio was already in Sabbath for a while. Yeah. Uh, Ozzy was already gone on his own and Randy was already dead. Yeah. Okay. And so what was going on during that time was Brad Gillis had just joined Ozzy. Uh, um, Dio had just left Sabbath and I was leaving here to go to Spain. Yeah. Because I was like, and and heavy metal might have had something to do with why they thought I was headed the wrong direction here, <laughs> and thought I would need like a change of of pace. Yeah, but when they send me there, like the the day that I left, I bought the first deal record, <laughs> right, and I took it with me. Yeah, and as soon as I got to Spain, um. They, you know, there's real bad jet lag, so they try to keep you awake. Yeah. And they took me to some pool party where I didn't know anybody, obviously, and I fell asleep anyways. (laughs) But then the next day, I met some kids that lived in the building because the plan was for me to go to school. My uncle was in the Air Force, and I was going to go to school on a military base for a year Mm -hmm. and then come back, you know, and hopefully I'd be straightened out or whatever. (laughs) And so when I got there, I, I met the other dudes that, that lived in the neighborhood, and they were Americans, and they liked metal, too. And I was just like, oh, shit, right away. And they were like, what do you got there? And you know what are you listening to? <clears throat> My little Walkman, I'm like, Dio. They're like, Dio? They're like, the guy from Sabbath? And I'm like, yeah, he's not in Sabbath no more. He's just Dio now. <laughs> and they're like, oh, all right, cool. You know, let's listen to that, whatever. So... We spent that whole summer, basically, they had a bunch of shit that I didn't have, you know, and and um, and I had some shit that they didn't have because basically, like, over here, the shit that was popular wasn't as popular over there. Like, Ozzy would open for Saxon over there, you yeah. know, and over here, people didn't know who the fuck Saxon was, yeah. you know, so, so we got hit to skip on a lot of new shit really <laughs> fast, you know. And that was during the summer. And when school started on a military base, they had like hella funding, you know? So there was music classes. You could take a drum class. You could take a guitar class, you know? Obviously, we all took guitar classes. Yeah. And uh, they, you know, you'd get like a um, a class-issued Yamaha classical guitar, you know? And they wanted you to learn, you know, all these Song of Joy and... These little, you know, Bach pieces, and yeah. you know that that are called something else for the <clears throat> for the purpose of the class or whatever. And we kind of learned those. Um, I never learned strictly to read music like I should have. Yeah, 
Um, I think that some of my boys did. That's I'm talking about uh, Tommy, Phil, um, Carlos, Ben. Those were my boys in Spain, and we were all learning to play guitar at the same time, and we were competitive, you yeah. know. So it was like, oh man, if you could learn like a Randy lick or like a, a Eddie lick or something, that would put you next level, yeah. and then. He had to catch up what you were doing, you know. And me and Phil especially would go head-to-head -head all the time, you know, <laughs> who was better or whatever. And my friend Tommy was the first one to get an electric guitar, okay. Mm -hmm. He got a Fender Lead 2. It was black. If you squinted your eyes, it looked like the same thing that Glenn Tipton was playing, you know. <laughs> and we were just like, man, fucking rad, you know, electric guitar. But the thing is, is that everything that we had heard... And everything that we had read said that playing electric guitar was a lot easier than than playing, you know, acoustic or a classical guitar. Yeah, that's what I had always heard. Too. Right. There's more wiggle room for error. Right. That. It, it, and there is. But in this case, like, the guitar just came from the bass, you know, from the <laughs> bass exchange. It wasn't set up or anything. The strings were like an inch off the fretboard, you know, where you had to push them down, you oh, know. Geez. And I was just like, Tommy, dude, you know what? I think if we just turn these screws, these things will lower down, and it'll just be, like, so much easier to play. But he was just like, no, you can't touch it. It's, you know, this is the holy grail. You can't, yeah. you know. So I never got to, to check and see if it would have been, you know, some, hopefully at some point. He got his action lowered and whatever. <laughs> I figured it out. But that would have been after I left, yeah. you know. And so I ended up only staying there about like seven or eight months, nine months, because I was even worse over there than I was here. <laughs> so they were just like, yeah, we need to get him out of here and send him back. When I got back, my grandmother was married to some white dude named Eddie. Right? <laughs> he was an old dude. Smoked cigarettes, and uh, I had no idea what my grandma, why my grandmother was with this dude. <laughs> That's fucking except weird. Except that he had money, <coughs> and he would take her to Vegas all the time. <clears throat> and she liked going to Vegas, and she liked going to Reno and Tahoe and all yeah. that shit. And there was no Indian casinos at those days, so you had to actually go yeah. to go to a casino or to Mexico. Um, well... Little did we know anything, anything, anything. It would come out later that um, that he was actually a meth cook, right? <laughs> and that's where he was getting all this money from. And as a cover for where he was getting all this money, he would spend all day Saturday and Sunday at the swap meet with this van load of crap that nobody ever wanted to buy. Yeah. Right? Like stuff like old like creams different like uh, <laughs> kind of um, and carpet squares just like you know like samples like <clears throat> but you what can like what are you gonna do with a carpet yeah like, I don't know but buy but eight of them he and would, put together some bullshit weird carpet something like that yeah it, <clears throat> and he would sell them for like a dollar fifty a piece or mm -hmm. something like that and they would sell a few but I mean he wasn't making any money doing this yeah. shit I, I knew that but Whatever, I don't care. I would go and he would kick me down a little something for the day, 15, 20 bucks, whatever yeah. it was, more than I was going to get anywhere else. Anyway, bottom line, and, and, and I didn't know what he was doing at the time to, to get this money. Yeah. So 
that's going to make what happens next even more inexcusable. <laughs> because one day, just, you know, going through the van, just fucking around, went through the van, <clears throat> in the little middle console, I just saw a big bag of money. Oh, right? Sure. Big fucking bag of money. And uh, grabbed a couple of 20s, you know, bought some crap at the swap meet, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever. Uh, and just really fucking knew that that was not going to be the end of it, you know. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what, man? I was like, every time, every time I take a 20 out of there, I'm like risking it, you yeah. know, that somebody's going to know, somebody's going to see, somebody's going to say something. Whatever, whatever, whatever. So I just grabbed a bunch of fucking money. Oh, jeez. And <clears throat> me and my friend Ricky went to the bathroom, went in the stalls, counted the money, and it was like $2,200. Oh, shit. Right? And so I just fucking stuck it in my pocket. <clears throat> I gave my sister some money <laughs> so that they would shut up. Um, I was going to give Ricky some money, but he didn't want any of it. He's always been fucking, you, <clears throat> even if he's, he's the dude that I argue with on Facebook. <laughs> he, um, he's always been Mr. Straight and Narrow, yeah. so he never wanted it. Whatever, man. I, I fucking went home, and I was sitting on two grand, right? Yeah. I, I, I took it to my friend Tom Scully's house because Tom Scully had the type of parents that would not search his room like mine would. Yeah. Right? So I gave him the money and uh, to hold for me and, you know, and gave him some to to, yeah. to do it. And I started looking for guitars. You know, I started, you know, thinking about guitars and what I wanted. And <clears throat> and my friend Ricky was, um, he was always the, he was the kind of guy who would come up with an idea like, like later on, he came up with the idea of going to Fiesta Island at two o'clock with a cooler full of beer and selling beers for fucking three dollars a piece yeah. or something like that. That was, you know, yeah. his always mentality. So when he wanted a guitar, he went to this place called Music Power that doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. I think it was on El Cajon or University and was like, hey, you know, can I sweep up, you know, and uh, little by little, you know, when it when it's time you give me a guitar yeah you know and meanwhile they, you're here like, yeah, no and, you just got a raw meth grandpa right, <laughs> and exactly. that's how you get a guitar <laughs> so they were like yeah you know whatever and I was like okay well so he would go to this guitar shop every day I could never get a ride anywhere I could never do anything so I was just like okay <clears throat> I want a flying V and I want it to have a tremolo on it mm -hmm. right that's it that's if you can get that tell me now give you the money and, and you just bring it back to me. Well, he was like, man, there's a lot of V's in there, but they none of them have tremolos, you know? And I was like, well, I need one with a tremolo, you know? Little did I know, I didn't know anything about anything. He was looking <laughs> at Gibsons, oh. right? Which none of them have tremolos. And I was like, no, I don't want that, you know? Mm -hmm. I was like, I need one with a tremolo. And when he finally found one with a tremolo, it was a Hondo. <laughs> which is a piece of shit. But it had a tremolo, yeah. and he got it. And so that was my first guitar, was a Honda, red Hondo V with a tremolo that was like a Strat tremolo. Yeah. You know? And because they didn't have good tremolos yet at that time. I mean, they were just starting to... Eddie Van Halen had one. Yeah. You know, but we didn't. We couldn't get one yet. So that was my first guitar. 
and uh, and that's when you know once I once I got plugged in, I was just like I was pretty quick to master like every, anything that was flashy, you know, anything that was like um, impress your friends type of thing. Yeah, that would be that was what I was gravitated towards, you know. Eddie Van Halen shit, Randy Rhodes shit, tapping, tremolo shit, yeah. you know, and that's what I was into, and uh, and yeah, and so that's when that's when I basically decided that's what I was going to do, you know, I was going to play a guitar, um, be in a band, and uh, and started getting my my guys together. So basically, from '87 or so, that was when I got out of high school. For the next 10 years was almost a dead time. Like, because if you were in a band that I already liked, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, Dio, that type of shit, I still listen to your music. But if you were in a new band that was coming out, then as far as I was concerned, you were like competition. <laughs> and, you know, you were gay. I didn't want to yeah. know anything about you. You know, so... <clears throat> so that's where I didn't I missed the boat on Megadeth I missed the boat on Testament I missed the boat on um, on uh, Pantera you know well, I, you know you, you're coming up when Pantera was in their their you know glam phase mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. you know fucking album covers that looked like they're drawn by a sixth grader yeah. and shit so it's yeah. like it's kind of hard to look at that and be like, yeah, this is going to be my shit right, right here. Like, right. You know, but, uh, and so, and so during that time, you know, my, <clears throat> my lead singer, my best friend, everything was a dude named Lenny Williams. <clears throat> he was a real good singer. He sounded a lot like Dio. I mean, uh, like, you know, in a, it, at a time when everyone wanted to sound like Dio, yeah, he sounded like Dio. So it was like, well, fuck, I've got the best singer going, you know. Um, but it was hard to find a drummer. It was hard to find a drummer with drums, um, <laughs> you know, and uh, and a PA. Fuck, how, you know, where are we going to get a PA? There was all these issues that we ran into, but uh, we did end up being a band, and we were good, you know. Um, we never did anything. Because during the same time as we were getting into music, you know, we were getting into drugs, heavy. Yeah. And that kind of took over, like, you know, you're supposed to get famous first. And then, and then, yeah. and then go downhill. And we just, like, we, we took a shit all, all over the whole thing. Yeah. To the point where we ended up, because we were so fucked up on drugs and, and the circle of our friends changed so drastically, we ended up being, you know, doing doing shows as a as a punk band. Yeah. Doing show we had we actually had a band called the Orphans that sounded like Green Day before there was <coughs> Green Day. You know, I mean like the same uh, same chord structures, yeah. same uh, like sensibilities, poppiness almost, but yeah. heavier. And with lyrics that were mostly about tweaking, you know? <laughs> so you know that's that's a genre that still hasn't quite been grasped entirely. Is that that prime tweaker music? Prime genre. tweaker music, and you know, and we <laughs> really thought there was a market for it, you know. But um, 
But yeah, I mean, you know, so so that was where that started, and and uh, and that went for a long time, you know, and then I started getting in trouble because you know, obviously drugs and trouble, you know, went to going to jail and shit like that, and and then music took a back seat, and that's when you know comedy started peeking its head yeah. into my into my thoughts again. When you uh, decided to start doing comedy. How did that go? Um, you know, it's one of those things where I wanted to for years and years and years and years. Uh, ever since I was a teenager, I thought about it. I'm like, oh, that'd be so fucking cool to be a mm-hmm. stand-up comic. And I didn't know shit about how to get into stand-up. I mm-hmm. didn't know how stand-up worked because I, I legitimately thought when I watched those specials, um, I thought they're just fucking coming up with all that shit off the top of their head. Right. I thought they're just going out there and they're just that fucking funny. Yeah, they're just that funny that they're riffing for an hour straight and yeah. to thunderous applause and then they leave and I didn't realize that every every five minutes of that hour has been hammered out yeah. and hammered out over dozens and dozens of mics and shows and like I didn't realize that's how that's what it was and I didn't know how you got into stand-up comedy, like, you know, especially here in San Diego, I didn't even know we had fucking comedy clubs right? for the longest time. And for, a, you know, for a while, it was really, I think, just the comedy store in La Jolla mm-hmm. was really the only game in town. Yeah. And I think what they had, like, a a, um, a Laugh Factory San Diego or some shit for like that. For a minute, yeah. But I had not even remotely, I didn't know how to get into it. Right. And, uh... I didn't know about open mics and the fact that every fucking coffee shop and bar in San Diego has a goddamn open mic. Right. But um, a friend of mine, uh, this was even years before I eventually did it, mm-hmm. he had started kind of doing it. And he is friends with my brother's girlfriend. Um, and they're like, oh, yeah, Maurice has been doing stand-up. And he's at the comedy store every once in a while. I'm like, oh, that's cool. But like when they said comedy store, at that point I had heard of it. I thought he was going up to L.A. all the time. Right. And then it's like I found out it was funny because uh, he actually, he had uh, um, he had this beef with Polly Shore <laughs> because I guess in the middle of his set he was doing something and Polly Shore happened to be, and I guess it was at the, the, the store here, mm-hmm. Polly Shore got up in the middle of his act and started fucking around and doing the weasel shit and then got on stage and he thought he was helping him and my, you know my friend Maurice was fucking pissed oh, yeah. he was like Polly Shore's a fucking piece of shit <laughs> and it was weird that I had a friend that had like this legitimate beef with, with a Polly. famous person yeah that's funny but you know you know but then he would talk about how awesome Mitzi Shore was because he actually got to meet her right wow like, that's oh. cool he's like yeah I got she had me over for lunch one time and da 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 and that fool got into fucking all kinds of drugs and then fell out and then yeah. he was went to you know went to stay with my brother's girlfriend and my brother to kind of get back on his feet and swore he was sober and getting his shit back together and then he got fucked up and punched his girlfriend in the face oh, in the hallway Jesus. and he was persona non grata. So at that point, I was like, well, there went my way to try to get into stand-up. <laughs> right. And uh, so I still didn't know the the whole score to it. Well, then right. fast forward a couple years, and uh, I'm not doing shit with my life. You know, this is the thing. I was in a fucking rut. Like, mm-hmm. my 20s were, you know, I was bouncing around the country a little bit from place to place. You know, the fucking meet up with girls that I met on, like, AOL and shit. Okay. And, uh... 
So I ended up in North Carolina for a minute. I was in Milwaukee for a minute. I was in, you know. That was a pussy quest. Yeah, I was in Austin, <laughs> Texas for a minute. and I heard Austin is cool. It was pretty cool, but yeah. the chick I met up with there wasn't. Oh, like, yeah. Well, the thing was, she was into fucking drugs and shit, and I really wasn't, but I thought, like, I would maybe I'll set her, kind of get her off that path. But what ended up happening is I had to just start doing pills with her. Yeah. And fucking OD'd and was fucking... Woohoo! Thought I was about to die on her bathroom floor and she didn't want to call like 911 or anything. Oh, jeez. And it was fucking like those fucking cortisinin pills. You know, the kids fucking steal those things to get high off of. Yeah. And I'd never done shit like that before. And she's like, oh, fucking take like eight or Oof. ten. So I took a bunch of those. Yeah. And she took a whole bunch, and she started, like, raving and shit and listening to her rave music, and she was having a grand old time, and I was laying on the floor, like, cotton mouth and feeling woozy. I'm like, I don't even think this is a fucking fun high. Like, why are you enjoying this? And then all of a sudden, it hit me, and I start fucking puking, and I was, like, convulsing, and... She was like, you're going to be fine, and, like, she'd give me water, you know, she'd give me water, and I'd immediately puke it right back up, and, uh... She was, like, trying to convince me things were going to be cool. Right. But even she said, she's like, oh, shit, I think he's going to fucking die. Yeah. Like, she was what she was thinking. And then I fucking, I wrote it out. And then, you know, after I fucking puke my guts out and everything else, I'm laying on the fucking bathroom floor. And then I start tripping a little bit and seeing shit. I'm like, dude, fuck this. But, so I came back home. Yeah. Well, that, <laughs> that, that seems like a good move. And, um. Uh, so, you know, the, after that, it was just like I'm working just bullshit retail jobs. And, you know, I was going to community college for a little bit and that burnt me out. So I quit going to school. Mm-hmm. So I was fucking going zero. I was going nowhere. I was a fucking loser. I had nothing going on. I'm living with my parents, you know. Right. Um, and then uh, a friend of mine, you know, from high school is Chick Shirley. Uh, she hits me up. She's like, hey, I'm moving back to San Diego because she'd been in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um since like I don't I still don't remember know how she ended up there but she ended up in South Dakota from San Diego it's just a, I think she had a friend that was out there and she was, didn't have anything going on and they're like why don't you come up here and stay with me for a little while and you know get change of pace and then she just lived there and got pregnant and had a kid and then you know her baby daddy was a piece of shit and then she got married to another guy and then divorced Mm-hmm. And then her mom was about to have surgery, and she's going to need a bunch of help. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to move back in with my family in San Diego. I haven't been back in San Diego for, you know, other than a couple visits. Like, I haven't lived there for a decade mm-hmm. or more type of thing. So she's she's bringing her, you know, nine-year-old daughter back home and everything. And she's like, hey, I'm going to be in San Diego, uh, and my boyfriend... Uh, is moving with me and I think you two would get along. His name's Dan and you're gonna and he does stand up comedy. He's been doing comedy up here in South Dakota. I think you guys will hit it off. You guys, you know, once I get back in town we should all hang out. Right. And that's how I met Dan Bublitz, uh, who, you know, at San Diego Comedy knows who he is quite a fucking bit. Uh, yeah. he was, you know, in the scene. Yeah. Heavily. heavily he started the San Diego Comedy Festival yeah you know the, all that the Facebook page yeah the SD Comedians or yeah. whatever it is yeah yeah he so, was the host at my second open mic yeah yeah and that was what at the palace yeah and, yeah at the palace so I've been hanging out and this was 2011 
mm-hmm. is when I met Dan. And we've been hanging out for about a fucking year. And, you know, I'd go to his shows. I'd go hang out with him at open mics. So I started right. meeting a lot of the comics in right. the scene. That you saw way. how it worked. Yeah. And um, so I made friends with some of the comics. And I just kind of, I was sort of getting a feel for how all that shit worked. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'd start hanging out with Dan and you know, having, you know, ideas and I'm like, Hey man, uh, like I learned what a fucking tag was and joke right. structure. I was like, Hey, with so-and-so joke, why don't you try this tag? Mm. And I give him tag ideas or he, if he's struggling with a punchline, I'd start going, Oh, why don't you try this instead of this? And, uh, after a while he appreciated it. He liked having someone to write with, but he st- he finally was like, man, you need to focus and just write your own shit and get on stage. And I was like, I don't fucking know if I have that in me at that mm-hmm. point. Like, I was, you know, 30, you know, I was 32. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this seems like it's supposed to be a young man's game right. that early on. And I was like, I don't know. I was just thinking about it. And I'd start to think about maybe I'll do an open mic. And then I kind of pussy out. And then I didn't have anything. And just one day I was uh, talking to a friend of mine on the phone. And I was telling her a story about when I was in elementary school when my, my friends were picking on this, this kid in special ed and I was fucking like I was the one being like this is kind of fucked up guys like you're making fun of like you know I was fuck, I was also you know I was also like 10 so I'm like you're making fun of the retard that's not cool so it's right, still, right. kind of fucked up because yeah. I was a 10 year old but um, I was telling her the story and how they're fucking with this kid and fucking with this kid and I'm sitting around, like, maybe leave this, like, leave him alone, man. This is getting mean. Mm-hmm. And then this kid fucking snapped. And instead of fucking bombing on them, I must have been, like, the closest body. Mm-hmm. And he fucking swings and decks me. Oh, jeez. So I'm getting just bombed on by a special ed kid. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and they have that strength. Yeah, and I, <laughs> yeah, I was telling her this the story about it, and I was kind of presenting like I'm telling it, it's kind of a funny story, yeah. and I'm like, he just fucking came at me like this whirlwind of rage and Velcro shoes, like, right. and just beat my ass, and she was laughing like the whole story I was telling her, and I like just all of a sudden this light bulb went off, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that be might be some shit that I could tell on stage doing stand-up telling stories like that right but punch them up a little bit so i went home and i immediately busted up out microsoft word on my laptop and i just started writing just i fucking oh wow just a bunch of shit and i go to my friend dan and i'm like hey man um i've been writing a bunch of material he's like oh that's great you know yeah and i'm like you know i know you're supposed to start at like on open mics but like you think maybe you can put me on one of your shows yeah and he kind of was like you know what you've you've written a lot of jokes with me and I know you're a pretty naturally funny guy um I think I could trust you to be funny for five minutes yeah sure I'll give you a spot yeah. and he because he's booking his own independent shows right. So, uh, plus, you probably had some scrubs on some of those shows anyway. Oh, so for fuck, it didn't matter, yeah. Really, <laughs> it was like, yeah, I wasn't any worse than anybody yeah, else on most yeah, of those imagine. shows. So, uh, he, he tells me, he's like, fine, I'll give you five minutes, that's fine. And uh, it was at East Tavern. Uh, I, I don't know if you ever popped into any of those ones, when we, but uh, I don't think so. It was 
a fucking, you know, it was, it was an urban bar. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So, you know, good on Dan for walking in. It was basically like kind of like a, a hip-hop type bar. Right. Not a white person inciting me like, hey, can I run a comedy show here? Yeah. And like, sure, why the fuck not? Right. Because it had this big showroom though right the bar itself wasn't that big but it had a big fucking showroom for like bands and a big floor so like right. you know people would like dance or this yeah, and that whatever, but it had yeah. tables chairs and everything so it's like if you can get people to come to this place you know over kind of by fucking city heights uh right. then you could do something you can do something so then he was like okay i'll put you on it i show i do an east tavern and i go and uh so i tell everybody making my stand-up comedy debut right. so i pack you know it's packed for a show like that right. i got probably maybe 10 15 people to show up yeah to watch me do stand-up yeah and it went well like i didn't fucking eat shit i didn't bomb and it probably helped that i invited a whole bunch of friends right. but people that you know weren't my friends thought you were good thought i was funny and like you guys felt like, good after yeah like i remember um louis satello who I think he still does comedy every once in a while yeah. here, but he came up to me. He's like, "Dude, was that for real your first time on stage? Because you have pretty good timing." And then you know, other comics that were on that show were like, "That's pretty fucking good for a first timer." Right. So that that was it. That was August of 2012. I finally popped my comedy cherry, and it was on. After that, that was like all I could think about. From that from that period forward for the longest time right. and then after a while I got burnt out on it like yeah. it was it was one of those things where I thought for me I was like you know what I I don't think I'm I feel like I'm probably at this point in my life I'm probably never gonna get married mm-hmm. uh, I'm probably never gonna have a family or anything like that that I thought I wanted when I was younger I guess comedy is gonna have to be my thing I dedicate myself to right. so the goal was like be a road comic Right. And that was, after a while, my set started changing. My comedy started changing, and I started getting a lot angrier on stage mm. and a lot darker and a lot more bitter, and my persona wasn't very likable. Mm. And Dan finally sat me down and was like, you know, um, I think you thought that just going full in with comedy was going to fill whatever void there was in there for you, mm-hmm. but it's fucking not. And no, it's totally like not. really causing you problems now because you're really depressed. Yeah. <laughs> and you're a fucking downer on stage and a right. downer to be around. Like, you're either... You, you're, you basically fluctuate between depressed and angry right. when we're hanging out a lot. And then a, a gal that I was sort of seeing and then it didn't work out, she came to a, <clears throat> a show I was on and she missed my set. And, uh, uh, but she showed up, but she said she comes in and, uh, she saw me sitting in the back and she told me later that she was super concerned about me because like she came in and just saw me like before I could put on my, Hey, good to see you face. Right. She was like, I have never seen you look that fucking depressed before. Like she's like, Ooh. I walked in on this show with you just hanging out in the back kind of by yourself. And you looked like you wanted to kill yourself. Right. And it was, I was it's that, that fucking space bar in La Mesa. Who, if oh, anybody yeah, that's yeah, done yeah. comedy knows, it's a shitty... It was an internet yeah. cafe. So it was a shitty show yeah. with no audience. Right. And I'm just like... And you're just like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah, I'm here? like, what am I fucking doing? Because this is what... 
is yeah. like, man. That's where people like. I thought like you just like you do some open mics and then you get to be on Comedy Central show right. when I was younger. Right. And it didn't help that it turns out that a lot of clubs fucking egg you on with that. Like my third time ever on stage, I went up to uh, Flappers in Burbank and uh, they do an open mic um, to book people. Right. And I went up my third time ever on stage, did my shit. You get a minute, and uh, wow. They emailed me back and booked me for two shows at their their YooHoo room, which is like their back room in that club. Right. So I just figured I was like a rocket to success. I'm already. Right. I, wow. I it's mean, like I, I've already been booked at a show. Yeah. In a comedy club. Yeah. And this is my third in LA. time ever. Yeah, in LA, and this yeah. is my third time ever on stage. Right. And it turns out it was really. Um, they're trying to get you to bring people. They don't right. really tell you that. Right. Um, they're like, oh, we'll record your set for you, and uh, you can buy that from us for thirty bucks. Right. So they're really trying to fucking get open yeah, micers to get, to get you yeah. know, to pay thirty dollars for right video of them. And I should like I didn't have fucking thirty bucks on me for right. It. So luckily, God forbid, I fucking put out a video of me. You know, I've done comedy for a month. Huh. And submit that, like, put me on TV. Like, I would have just been That's laughed funny. out of the building, you know? But then, sure enough, it's funny. Like, I end up getting married anyway. Like, I meet, you know, my right. wife. You're at my wedding. You yes. Know? And it's like... Great wedding. Yeah. Great time. And it was like... Since then, it's like I... It, I still love comedy. I need... I'm, I don't get to do it as much as I wanted to. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, like, life takes over man when right. you got a wife and you're went back to school mm-hmm. and so you're going to class four nights a week mm-hmm. like you can't hang out you got responsibility yeah that's like I, I can't hang out with the 22 year olds that are at all these open mics and shit right. and it's like even if I had all that free time I don't fucking want to yeah like, I, you know they're nice kids right I got nothing against most of them but right. it's like we have zero in common you're right. a fucking child with no life experience Right. That's entire life is hanging out at open mics, and that's fucking fine for you. Yeah, that's fucking sad for me. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. You know, it's funny, man, but that you said that because <clears throat> my first, second, my first and second times on stage are online. They're they're there, and oh, they're my, good. Yeah, they're good. <laughs> they're actually good because I mean, like like I had my crowd there. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if I ever told you the story how I ever ended up doing comedy the first time. was because um, I was at a party. It was Lonnie's, it was Lonnie's brother's best friend's party, right? In Chula Vista, it was great, you know, booze flowing. I was holding court, you know, fucking telling stories. Everybody's fucking laughing. It was great. Yeah. And uh, and one dude comes up and he's like, hey, man, you know, what do you do for a living? And it was one of those where he's about to tell you that you should be a comic, uh-huh. you know. And so I just told him that I was one, right? <laughs> but he just, he didn't skip a beat and he just turned around and goes, hey, everybody, come here. You know, and people just start walking over. They're like, this dude's a fucking comedian. You know, when are you going to be on, man? Whatever, whatever. <laughs> And I had already, I had already been looking into you this week until you make it shit. right during that time. Um, it was you signed up for the for the uh, palace 
online. Yeah, right? I remember that. And like a week or two in advance, yeah. you know, and it, it would tell you you were on a list. So I just said, uh, two weeks. I said, two weeks, I'll be at the Comedy Palace, you know? <laughs> and they were like, oh, yeah, dude, we're going to go, for, you know, send us the link and whatever. And I was like, yeah, cool. Went home, drunk as shit, and got on the website and, <laughs> and, and, and uh, signed up, Yeah, right? And then invited everybody to that fucking shit so I wouldn't chicken out, you know? Yeah. And basically, you know, I went, I showed up there. When I showed up there, like, there was already, like, 30 people there, mm-hmm. and they were still coming, you know? So by the time I was getting ready to go on or whatever, there was, like, 50 people there that I had brought, you know? Yeah. And uh, and the dudes from the palace, who I didn't know them at all at the time, yeah. you know, they were just like, oh, yeah, man, you know, just go do as long as you want. You know, <laughs> I was like, all right, whatever. So I ended up my first time doing 12 minutes. Oh, nice. Yeah, and it, and it went great, you know. So, yeah, of course I thought, well, fuck, this is cake. You know, I mean, it, yeah, it takes these dudes a long time, but it's because they don't have, like, the qualifications that I have. They don't have the life that I have. They can't tell the stories that I can tell. So it's going to be way easier for me. Yeah. You know, that's what I thought. Obviously, that's not how it turned out. It's like, but, you eat shit for the first time. <laughs> right. But, oh, cause, because a few times later, I actually, at the Salty Frog, which was my first time at the Salty Frog, went up there, and I didn't really take it seriously. There was no stage there was no crowd. There was yeah. no, I mean, you know, whatever, whatever. But I went up there and about two minutes in, just forgot what the fuck I was talking about oh, and couldn't get it back and just said, okay, uh, good night yeah. and walked off. So that was my humbling, yeah. you know, and from there, you know, whatever. But this shit could have really went a whole different way because I don't know if you know this or not. But me and Patrick DeGear went to high school together. Oh, no shit. Yeah. And so he's a year younger than me. And um, and we went to Sweetwater High. Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend was in his class, was a year younger than me. One second here. Just for, for anybody that doesn't know who Patrick DeGear is. <laughs> yeah. Patrick DeGear, he's a local kind of, he, he's a local comic here in San Diego. He's a road comic. He's been doing it for about 20 years. Uh, he he pretty much uh, he came up with like guys like Dat Fan and stuff and he's a working comic he's been doing this for a couple of decades now right. so he's one of the the vets of this San Diego comedy yeah scene. he's one of the few guys that really actually makes his living from yeah. comedy around here and he's blind that, that, yeah <laughs> he yeah. started doing stand up comedy because he lost his fucking sight right so he couldn't do anything else right so he just started going on stage right so when I knew him in high school. They used to call him Pee Wee. He was short, mm-hmm. right? He was a cool kid, funny kid. Um, uh, I said kid because he was a year younger than me. But like, but I also thought that I was fucking like 20 when I was in high school. Yeah. So it wasn't, you know. And um, as it turns out, I had, like, my girlfriend was like the hottest girl in school, mm-hmm. right? And definitely the hottest girl in his grade. And so... That's how that's how we knew each other, you know. Yeah. And um, as it turns out, my girlfriend's uncle, his name was Johnny Rosas. 
he was a stand-up comic, right? Mm -hmm. But, like you said, I didn't know what that meant, you know? I knew that sometimes he would need a place to stay, and he would stay at her parents' house. And she told me he was a comedian, so I was like, well, either he must not be very good or comedians don't make very much money, you know? <laughs> and so I asked her, I go, hey, how much does your uncle get paid to do comedy? She's like, I don't think they get paid, you yeah. know? And I was like, oh, well. That sucks. I don't want to do that. Yeah, that's that, you know. And and not that, not that I was going to go that way anyways, because yeah. I really seriously thought I was a rock star at that time. Yeah. So I, I probably wasn't going to go that way anyway. But if I would have if I would have went that way and just say, hey, so uh, so let me talk to your uncle about, you know, whatever, whatever. Who knows? And that dude, Johnny Rosas, ended up being Patrick DeGear's mentor. Oh, yeah. And brought him up through the ranks. He ended up retiring or quitting because he, he had a drinking problem and it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, conducive comedy wasn't conducive to to that. Yeah, no you know? shit. <laughs> and uh, that's something that I'm now now dealing with, but it's kind of a different circumstances. And uh, and I mean, you know, and so so basically, what it's kind of I'm almost saying that if if I had gone that way and everything was perfect, everything worked out right, mm-hmm. well then I could have been Patrick Gear. Yeah, right. But the the cool thing, as it turns out, is that maybe that would have been cool then. Now, that would be the last thing that I would want to do. Yeah. Because, you know, it just seems, I mean, for all that everybody, you know, wants to be a successful comic or road comic or whatever, man, it, it doesn't look like a lot of fun. From the, the dudes that I see doing it, it doesn't look like a great life. It doesn't yeah. look like a lot of fun. You know, if you're 100% in on it and this is, you know, then fuck yeah, you know, go for it and do it. And and, and, and if you are all in it on it like that, then it should be fun. At some point, it yeah. should become fun. I don't see a lot of them having fun. Even yeah. Patrick, when he did a class one time and it wasn't about he didn't do a comedy class it was like a A business class he called it scared straight comedy right and he basically held court yeah for a bunch of open micers and basically told them um they should mostly quit yeah most of you are gonna (laughs) fucking fail yeah um the money in stand-up comedy has not gotten any better since the 90s right but everything costs more right like a fucking feature at a you know bumfuck nowhere you know, club gets paid the same rate now than he would have in ninety fucking nine. Right, you know? and his room cost five times yeah. as much. And he was like, "And you'll end up getting put up. Like, if you're lucky, the club will put you up in the the condo, and the condo's disgusting." Yeah, and he was like, "It's a fucking. You got to really, really be in this, and there's no there's no rest. Like, you can't you can't stop grinding at this because." Uh, you know, there's no 401k for comics. There's no retirement right. package. There's like you, you're on the road until you can't anymore. Or right. You die. Like right. that's, I mean, sure. Unless you're like one of the 1% that fucking yeah, hit it, the, it big. Yeah. If you're fucking lucky, you become a comedy superstar. Mm-hmm. But those are so, 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 it's not even, it's got to be less than 1%. Yeah, like probably, yeah, totally. 
totally. The odds are so... Like maybe 1% of working comics. Yeah, yeah, there's... Yeah, it's so against, you know, and, you know, people... That's the thing is people don't realize just kind of the reality of what it is because you get these guys that are on Comedy Central. They're on Comedy Central one night and they're in the same shitty-ass gig that mm-hmm. someone like me is the next night. Mm-hmm. You know, there's... I've done, you know... You know, I've done fucking plenty of shows for no pay or bullshit pay with guys with credits, you know? Oh, yeah, for and sure. It, and everybody's got credits at this point, and because none of them are fucking, none of them matter, but everybody needs them. Right. Yeah, you know, I mean, as far as, do you even have any, like, goals in comedy, or is it just... Um, you know what? I... My goal now, I've really changed it a lot over the last couple of years, especially getting married. Um, mm-hmm. I had, I used to be kind of like the Patrick DeGear approach, like this is going to be my fucking life and this and that. Right. And uh, then I kind of started taking what I call the Dave Wright approach, who's mm-hmm. another comic that was down here for years and years and years. He's up in L.A. now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, his whole thing was he basically said... Um, you know, my only goal is to fucking tell, tell jokes and make drunk people laugh. Like that's all he wants to do. Right. It's just, you know, make it. It's just fun to him still. Right. So, and he was, you know, it's funny that I've kind of went in that direction, especially when I first really sat down and talked with him. It was on my birthday. <laughs> mm. It still so is very distinctly remember this. It was my birthday, so it was literally on my birthday. So it was July eleventh. 2013, I've been doing comedy for almost a year. And I did a show at Winston's because, you know, uh, Jeff Bilodeau, who booked it at the time, he likes to book you around your birthday because hopefully you'll get people you'll showing for people, your birthday right. show. Yeah. I got a couple people show up, but I was a little, you know. but yeah. So I'm doing a, a show on my birthday at a dive bar in OB. Right, that's and, big and empty. Yeah, it's big and empty. And um, so I'm sitting back there with Dave in the back, and he's been doing comedy about 10 years. Yeah. And, uh, He's like, hey, Castleberry. And at this time, I was kind of notorious for being kind of a loudmouth in the comedy scene, especially in, like, the Facebook group. Like, right. I wasn't pulling punches with people. I know I hadn't done comedy long, but I was right. older than most of them. Right. And I didn't like a bunch of fucking kids trying to talk down to me. Right. Like, I wasn't a, an adult. Right. And, uh, so it kind of, you know, the word got around, oh, Castleberry's got, you know. You don't take no shit. Yeah, he's, well, it's more, yeah, he's kind of up his own ass. Like, okay, a lot of people okay. thought I was a douchebag. Like, okay. They thought I was arrogant and too opinionated and right. this and that, and I started too much shit. And, right. Um, I seen, I saw, um, I saw a picture of you, mm-hmm. and you had like, um, I don't know what the fuck those hats are called. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> hat on. It was a black and white. You had yeah, a cigarette hanging out of your mouth. Yeah, and I was like, "What the fuck's up with this guy?" <laughs> <laughs> that didn't help. I thought that shit looked cool. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> that was good. But yeah, uh, yeah, that was what. It's funny because I, I remember I took that picture. Uh, I was it was at, a pretty dramatic picture. Yeah, well, yeah. What it was is I was at my uh, my friend uh, Shirley's sister's I was at Shirley's place but they were throwing a birthday party for her sister and she wanted a Roaring Twenties themed party ah. so that's why I had the fedora and right. everything else and Shirley was a photographer right so I asked her to do some headshots for me but I've been wearing a hat so I didn't want to have fucking hat hair right 
So she, so she did on. some black and white. I, only time I ever wore that fucking hat <laughs> uh, was for that. And uh, so she takes these pictures, and I smoked at the time. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, it'll be fucking cool to have like the, you know, yeah. I, I thought it was like a Bill Hicks thing. Like, right, oh, I got right, a right. cigarette hanging out my mouth. Like, I'm a fucking, I'm an edgy, yeah. badass, you know. You know, truth teller. Yeah. You know, I'm a wordsmith, like right. type of thing. And I realized this fucking looked like a douchebag. Yeah. Um, to the point when, like, my second round, when I finally got actual headshots again, I had them all done in color, and I, it's like, I have like my my hair was longer, and I had my right. Macho Man Randy Savage shirt on, and that was more me. Yeah. And it's like, oh, Mike's kind of like the more upbeat, fun guy. He's not right. the fucking cool. You know. Yeah. But that's a better way to go. But yeah, that because of that. You know, people thought I was a dick, and I was never mean to anybody. That's right. the funny thing is, like, if you talked to me like face to face, I was super friendly with everybody. Right. But for some reason, it got well, around that Mike's this loudmouth, opinionated douchebag, yeah. and he's uh, talks a lot of shit on Facebook. Right. And then finally, uh, Dave sits me down, and he's like, "Hey, Mike, you're pretty funny. Let me talk with you here, man. You know, you're a funny guy. I like you. Uh, I want you to stay doing comedy." Um. But shut the fuck up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and he's, that was his thing. He just told me, shut the fuck up. Nobody wants to hear the opinions of a comic that's done comedy less than a fucking year. Right. Shut the fuck up. Keep your head down. Just go be funny, dude. Stop getting up in this drama. And right. that stuck with me. Yeah. For fucking years. Like, I started to really change my approach. Mm-hmm. And, uh few weeks ago at Jimmy Wolpert's uh, funeral, right. I'm standing there wearing the, you know, at the, the after thing, mm-hmm. and I hear, I'm talking with some, you know, with you and a couple of other people, mm-hmm. and then I hear, hey, Castleberry, shut the fuck up! Yeah. <laughs> and it's Dave Wright, and I go, I give him a hug, and I talk to him, and he's like, hey, man, that was such a dick move of me when I did that. Yeah, I not really. Like, I was like, no, I feel like I need that. He's like, can I be fucking... Dude, I was fucking drunk and just being a douchebag. Like, I'm like, so your fucking advice that I took to heart and really reevaluated how I was doing everything in comedy and how I was approaching things in the comedy scene was you being a drunk dickhead to me on my fucking birthday? (laughs) That's often the case. Yeah. That's often the case. And he was like, yep. And I'm like, son of a bitch. I've imparted many... uh, Many jewels of wisdom while fucking wasted and, you know. Oh, and, yeah. The first, you know, the first time I talked to you, you're pretty fucking lit. Oh, yeah. I don't even... I'm, I'm mostly, probably every time. I don't remember what, what advice you're giving me because I remember you're one of the... Um, one of the, You're one of the first comics that uh, I talked to outside of, like, some of the guys in my little right. like, close circle. But it's like, I remember I was at the, I was at the palace and... Um, you're doing a show that uh, I think Mike Avila was running it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Back yeah. when, you know, back when it's like it was the same show, on, you know, it's like all the same comics, like it seemed to be between, like he booked shows and Benji would book shows. Right. It was all like the same kind of rotating cast yeah. of people. So yeah. it was like you and Stella Bay and right. Alan Henderson and all that shit. And uh, so I remember seeing you on stage. I'm like, oh, this guy... Uh, he seems pretty cool, and yeah. I was like, and you had a stage name, so right. it's like Big Frog. I'm like, oh, this guy must actually be somebody if he's got a fucking stage name. <laughs> you think? I had a lot of real fucking like 
preconceived notions about like a lot of things. Like when I met Dangerous Dick Spenneberg, I thought that was like he was going to be a, it was a big deal because I've heard him on the radio, right? And he turned out to be a psychopath. Yeah, <laughs> but I remember I was like, oh man. And the, here's here's the funny thing is one, he had a stage name, so I figured, oh, it's got something going on. Yeah. Two, you're fucking old. So I just assumed you're like this grizzled comedy veteran. Right, been around forever. That was coming up and talking to me, Big Frog, the the grizzled veteran, yeah. imparting his wisdom on yeah. me. And then I find out why well, you fucking started comedy like six months before yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. And, uh, but you're cool, and that's all that mattered. Right. That's why, you know, you know, guys like Benji, uh, he was really cool to me. And so there's like these guys that they kind of got like, they're kind of, Treated like the misfits of comedy yes. in, this, in this scene for one reason or another. Right. But they're yeah. always fucking nice to me. Right. You know, so. it, it, with those type of things, it, it always ends up being that somebody got their feelings hurt and then they lashed out. And then yeah. however they lashed out got perceived as they being a super dick or whatever the fuck. And, and then once you get that, it's hard to get rid of it. But, yeah. You know. I'm sure there's people that don't like me. There's people that don't like me just because I'm Benji's friend. Yeah. You know, there's I, a lot yeah. of weird shit. I don't think I've actually ever heard uh, anyone speak ill of you. <laughs> well, that's good. I don't think uh, it'll be, I mean, there's a lot of, who's Big Frog? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, it was, it's just stuff I, I've always, uh, especially once you got sober. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I think the only time there was ever anything was when you got drunk and wanted to fight this kid, Colin Dodge. Or oh some yeah, shit. I remember that and vaguely. A, vaguely, and I, I, I really don't remember that much about it. I, I remember it because I was sober, and I remember I had to mediate that shit right. because you were ready to fuck him up. Yeah, and because he he was being familiar. Yeah, thought, too familiar. That's that's all it was. He yeah. was trying to. If it was somebody else that would have said the same shit, I wouldn't have. Oh yeah, him. if I would have, I fucking. Call you gay all the time. Yeah. But no. It's he no big did, deal. Yeah, he did that and he cracked something on you and instead of realizing you're getting pissed, he egged it on. Yeah. So it's like, oh, big frog, did you get that name? Sucking dick yeah. like, in prison uh, or this yeah. and that and you're ready to fucking kill him. Yeah. And I'm like... That's right. I was talking to you, I'm like, dude, he just, he's just, he's trying to be funny. He thinks like, since he's new in comedy, like you can kind of do this. You, you know, he doesn't right. realize you can't always rip people you don't know. Right. And I'm talking to him, I'm like, you need to fucking apologize. He's yeah. like, why? Why should I apologize? Because he got his feelings hurt. I'm like, because when you fucking hurt the feelings of an old essay, <laughs> they be beat issue. the fuck out of you, man. Like, this is not the kind of thing that he's going to, like, if it if he comes across you at a show, he might fucking deck you one. Yeah. Like, and I don't think you want that to happen. So yeah. he was like, oh, shit, I didn't realize he was that mad. I was like, <laughs> fucking. So I guess you guys talked it all out, and yeah, it's good it after good. that. Hilarious. And, we saw each other at the Seedless event in OB, <laughs> and it was good. Eric Knowles was there, and, uh, yeah, we smoothed it out. It was all good. That was the same day that Sleeping Dan was born. Oh, God. That from uh, that that became a famous thing. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to close with this one. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, since we were talking about gold and whatever. To me, man, now, it's like this. It's like, um, have you ever heard, like, a famous comedian tell you, like, who their famous, their favorite comedian is? Yeah. And it's not, like, a famous guy? It's just it's some like dude. some guy that you don't yeah. ever... My goal is to be that guy. My goal is to be like uh, the favorite of some funny people 
and maybe one of those funny people who has more time and more connections and more whatever it is than I do yeah, will hit the big time. And when they like, hey, I need fucking, I need an essay for this part. I know a guy. Or I need somebody who can write this this way. I know a guy. Or, you know, um, almost like a lotto, like almost like comedy would be like a lotto ticket for me. Yeah. With just only slightly better odds than the actual lotto. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I don't want to be a road comic. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to uh, be on the road. You know, I've got a beautiful girl at home. They're not going to pay me enough to take her with me. So, yeah. you know, yeah, man, that's not that's not going to be my thing. I want to write for a show. I want to, you know, I want to be on some big shows. Um, nowadays with this podcasting thing, I mean, you know, <clears throat> I'm like two steps removed from being on Rogan. I just need to figure out how to make those big steps, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I know a guy who knows a guy who knows Rogan. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that that's your famous overnight. Just, yeah. So, basically, if I got on Rogan, I would feel like I made it. Yeah. At that point, you know. And <clears throat> so that's kind of my plan. Um, it's not much of a plan, <laughs> you know. But I've already failed at other things. Yeah. So this is not going to be a heartbreaker for me. Yeah. If, if it doesn't work, doesn't work out, it doesn't out. work out. You know, and who knows? Maybe this is going to be the podcast that becomes the biggest podcast the big, in the yeah. world. It's like, uh, here, <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, the, you know, rambling podcast. The rambling with, podcast. <laughs> anyway. That, uh, that went longer than I thought it was going yeah. to, actually. But. We've gotten to an hour and a half, so we're going to pretty much let it go right there. Yeah. That was just like the first intro episode, let you know who we are, kind of where we're coming from. For future episodes, it'll be more refined. We'll have themes and we'll have topics and certain bands, maybe some guest musicians, hopefully, in the future. But for now, that was our intro episode to the Hit the Light podcast. I am Big Frog. I am Mike Ripper Castleberry. And we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. All right.